feel rushed, so I'm going to get going a few minutes earlier here. And uh, this is going to be a continuation of last week. If you missed last week and haven't watched or listened yet, I'm encouraging you to go back and do that because I feel like uh, next Thursday is Oikos night for June, but I feel like this is sort of a vein that I may be in for a little while, and so I'm encouraging you to, um, to try to keep up. So I want to read uh, just two verses as a launching point, and then I'm going to go back in a, in a few moments here to what I didn't get through last Thursday, and we will go from there. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can't get much more simple than that. We spend so much time focused on trying not to do the things we shouldn't do. Stressing over not messing up. Paul says, just walk in the Spirit capital S, so it's talking about the Holy Ghost there. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary so that you cannot do things that you would. I want to, tonight is part two of dueling laws. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. Lord, I pray again tonight that you would speak to us. God, we want you, I want you to speak to us to us. I just want to be a conduit. I don't want to be the speaker tonight, God. I don't want to share my thoughts, my ideas. I want to I want to say what you want me to say. I want to communicate what you want me to communicate. And God, I don't want to just be the speaker, but I want my heart to be a recipient, good ground of the word. Give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are open, give us hearts that are good ground that the seed of your word might produce in our lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What Paul says here in verse 17 implies something that is ongoing. It's ongoing. You don't, you don't accomplish it and it's done. The flesh lusts and will lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit will be contrary to the flesh. I went down this morning to uh, southern, I guess it was still Anne Arundel County. I don't know if we crossed Calvert County or not, but Brother Vernell Sr.'s dad, Brother Vernell Jr.'s grandfather, the funeral was this morning, and I was, I was driving back up to Annapolis, and I had some preaching on and kind of listening, 
and it uh, wasn't really related to the preaching. I was kind of listening to the preaching, but also my mind really was more so focused on, I'd already been studying this morning and focused on this evening. And I, I felt like the Lord dropped this, this thought into my spirit. We make Christianity a part-time endeavor, even though there is a full-time spiritual conflict. Let me use, let's go ahead and jump right into the sports analogies. That may be a record less than five minutes in. I, I, I play golf. I, I want to say I like to play golf. I don't know if I can really truly say I like to play because usually when I play, I leave pretty mad, angry because I never play the way I want to play, the way I think I could play. And uh, so I, I really... I'd like to say I enjoy playing golf. Most of the time, that's not the case. And What I really hate is when you get out on the golf course and you're playing badly and somebody else in your group wants to start talking about how beautiful the scenery is. If I was out trying to just get beautiful scenery, I would not have my golf clubs. I would not have spent money. I can go a lot of places and look at scenery for free and be a lot less frustrated than I am out on this course. You're just out here to have fun. Well, I ain't having fun. Because when I know I can do better than I'm doing, that's not fun. So I, I, Bishop and I, I, my brother, not quite as much because he was only about four years old at the time. But I was about 12 when my dad decided we were going to start playing golf because he played sports. I like sports, but there's some sports you can't play all the time, forever. But golf, you can... If you can walk and move a little bit, you can just about play. And um, so he decided. So we started playing. And so since I'm 12 years old, I've played off and on in different years, a little bit more than others. But, but it really, I'm what, I'm what you would basically call a weekend hacker. And there's a big difference between a weekend hacker and a professional golfer. Because the weekend hacker really, for the most part, is probably playing golf when it's convenient, when you have the time, when you have the opportunity, and, and uh, most, most of the, you don't have all the time to practice and all the time. But a professional golfer is, first of all, when they play a tournament, the, the actual tournament is Thursday through Sunday. They usually play a practice round or two at that course before the tournament. And then on the other days, they're spending hours and hours hitting hundreds of balls, putting, practicing. And not only are they doing all that, but they do all of that with a personal coach. And, and the, the results are worlds apart. I've said it before, if I were to take you up the highway to uh, Severna Park Golf Center, which is technically still in Arnold, but it's called Severna Park Golf Center. Uh, if I were to take you up there and, and I was to get a bucket of balls and I was to have you sit there and watch me hit golf balls there, in just a matter of a few moments, if you don't really know a whole lot about golf, you might be a little bit impressed with me. I'm not done, so don't get mad at me thinking I'm some cocky whatever. 
because hitting a golf ball at the driving range is night and day between hitting it on the course. Because at the driving range, it doesn't matter if you hit a bad shot, oh well, there's more in the bucket, you're not counting it, it doesn't. So that what happens is because you're really not under pressure, you actually hit a lot of good shots. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone from the driving range on a day we were playing, warming up. Man, I'm like, this is the day. I'm going to shoot my best score ever today because I am just nailing every shot on the driving range. And I get to the very first shot on the course and look like I've never hit a golf ball before. The problem is I kind of have professional expectations of myself. But I put in a weekend hacker effort. Timothy and I actually went out and played the other day. Hadn't played in months. It is absolutely stupid of me to get frustrated with not playing well because I haven't been playing. And yet I expect to play great even though I haven't been playing. We're kind of like that a lot of times, I think, in our walk with God. I'm going to dabble here and there in my walk with God and expect, again, to get my name put in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith. I'm going to be a part-time Christian, but the problem is there is this full-time battle constant battle that is going on between the flesh and the spirit. Now, hear me, please. I, 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 last week, last week I, I think I, I heard through the grapevine a little bit, of, I think a few of you were like discouraged from last Thursday night. That the, 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 This is not intended to be discouraging. It's actually supposed to be encouraging, first of all, to recognize, wait a minute, this conflict that I feel like is going on all the time is normal. This struggle between my flesh and my spirit is normal. Because some of us think we're going to arrive at this point where it's all absolute smooth sailing. If you, don't, if you get there, don't tell the rest of us because somebody's going to murder you. I'm just telling you. Because the rest of us aren't there. And for somebody to be there is just going to make the rest of us mad. There is this constant battle that is going on between the flesh and the spirit. It was one of the last verses I read to you last Thursday night. The, the carnal mind is enmity. It's the enemy. It's the enemy of God. And, and here's the other thing. I, 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 I wrote that down. I didn't really write this down, but it's been kind of churning in me all day. The, 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 the spiritual side, the spiritual mind takes what it's given. But the carnal mind is invasive. It's trying to take anything it can get. Whatever, whatever 
freedom and liberty you give the Spirit, it's going to step into that void. But it's not going to push its way. It's not going to take over. But the carnal mind is not that way. Here I go with my other analogy, but I'm not asking Brother McGuckin for any help tonight. There are are plants, including grass. Unless I've got the wrong kind of grass, my grass has never expanded into new areas. It grows where I plant it, but it doesn't just take over. On the other hand, there's some things that take over if you let them. I talked about the vines before. We've got we've got uh, ivy all over our yard, which in some ways you can you may want ivy, but ivy is not content to be where you want it. It wants to expand, and it wants to climb up trees. That's that's the carnal man. Your carnal man is not content that you've given it some space. It always wants more. There's some things the Bible talks about that that says it's never enough. They're never satisfied. They're never content. That's the carnal mind. That's the carnal man. Whatever space I give it, it wants more. Whatever leeway I give it, it wants more. But it's trying to aggressively take, again, the spirit. Unless you got a different spirit than I got, God has never tried to force His way. Every area in which I know I have surrendered and yielded and am yielding, God is always there. He's always stepping in. He's always helping. He's always working when I allow Him. But He does not force Himself. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's why, this is another thing that's stirring me about all this dumbing down of Christianity. We're making all this less and less of a big deal. And just, to, I, I, I read on, I've referenced a forum before that's on Facebook, a, a preacher's pastor, not just pastor's, preacher's forum. And I just read on there yesterday, I think it was, this pastor was putting on there, how many of you still have Sunday night service? And those of you that don't, what do you do? What would you replace it with? And this one guy, his church has gotten rid of Sunday night service because guess what? People like having that free time on Sunday night. Duh! Duh! What a revelation. I'm sorry, as much as I love church, I love coming to church. I'm bothered by the way church has become a a, a secondary thing in our lives. Leaders that let minor things get in the way of coming to church. I didn't grow up that way. That's not the church I grew up with.
I, I got to be honest, as much as I love it, I love it, I love it. There's some times when we've done things and don't have a Sunday night service, and I'm sitting there and going, man, I don't have, not only do I, I mean, you, most of you just come. It's more than just coming. More than just coming for the worship team and some others that carry responsibility. Sometimes I sit there like on an Easter Sunday and I'll go, man, if it was a regular Sunday, we'd be having to go to church right now. I, I do that. Of course. Of course flesh wants less. And, 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 then it's, and then this other thing is we may not be getting rid of stuff, but let's make it as short and sweet as possible because people are so busy. So busy with what? With the carnal man trying to run our lives. Y'all got, y'all got to look out because I went that funeral this morning. I thought I was a shoot straighter. I thought I was to the point, but man... Straight shooter, shoot straighter. Yeah, all the same. Straight, what did I, how do you, straight shooter. There we go. Good. Y'all are listening. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Man, he was, whoo, he was, well, stuff I believe. I'm like, man, I'm, so I'm, I'm feeling a little challenged. Be a little more to the point here. I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm sorry you got the wrong pastor. You're gonna have to pray me out of here because there's just one verse, one simple verse. I mean, I know we don't build anything off of one verse, but there's one verse I just can never get away from: not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, and so much as the manner of some is, but do it more as you see the day approaching. And again, 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 that is not related. That is not talking specifically or only about church services. It's not. It's talking about church service. It's talking about Oikos gathering. It's talking about Memorial Day, Sunday evening fellowships. It's talking about dinner among saints. It's talking about any and every opportunity. I've just got to tell you, I think the devil's got to be sitting there going, yes, great, keep it up. Every time a preacher gets up and talks about we're going to do less and we're going to do it faster or shorter, I think the devil's sitting there going, yeah. You're helping me out. The bottom line is most of us have enough trouble in our walk with God with what we do. Much less doing less. Listen, you know these, this verse. Most of you know this verse. But, and I, I know that um, the last part says you can't serve God and mammon. So I know that's kind of the focus. Of, but, but I think there's a principle that applies here beyond God and money. So he, he says this, you, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God, but then also serve yourself. Although, I think I've got it in my notes a little bit later. It's not the primary point of it, but it's in there a little bit later. You're actually not in the equation of who you can serve. 
I think sometimes we convince ourselves, well, you know, I, I'm not serving God, but I'm not serving the devil. I'm just, you know, just what I want. The problem is this. Paul said, you are either a servant of righteousness unto life, or you are a servant of sin unto death. Serving yourself is not an option. So when you think you're just serving yourself, you're actually serving the devil because you ain't serving God if you're serving yourself. I've said this before, but one of the, one of the times of parenting that I love the most is when I'm getting my kids to do exactly what I want them to do, but they think they're doing what they want to do. Some of y'all, you just want to go to head-to-head all the time and prove you're in charge. Have fun. I'd rather not have the fight. I'd rather them just do it. I mean, do exactly what I want them to be doing. What I would end up forcing them to do, but they've decided to do it not realizing. I think the devil is a lot like that. He's content with us doing what he wants us to do, but us not thinking we're doing what he wants us to do. This is just what I want to do. Remember, his, his I, I'm, I'll say it this way just to be safe, one of, but I think I could say his primary tactic is deception. The devil rarely ever shows up in your life with a big sign that says, I'm the devil and I'm here to fight you. Didn't do that. He sneaks his way in. He's subtle. He masquerades as an angel of light. A wolf in sheep's clothing. So you can't serve. You're going to hate. You're going to end up hating one. If you're trying to just live for yourself, I'm going to contradict what I just got through saying, but if you're just trying to live for yourself, you're going to end up hating God because what God wants and what God is trying to do in your life is contrary to your flesh. The flip side is, if you'll start trying to please God and, and, and serve God, I know we don't like to use some of those terms, but I think in the right context, then you're going to start hating what the flesh produces. One way or the other, you're going to hate something, because the bottom line is something's going to be a nuisance and a bother if you're trying to please both. said it a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on a Sunday, but you know, the problem with trying to straddle the fence in your walk with God is the only thing you can, if you're standing, the only thing you can focus on is just not falling. And then if you decide to sit on the fence, that's even, especially if it's a chain link fence, that's just uncomfortable. So the problem is you're riding the fence between the world and God and and, and you're not getting any of either. 
Because all you're focused on, I know I shouldn't be in the world, but I don't know if I'm really to go all, all in with Jesus, so let me just see if I can. So, somehow, this, this, this idea, I touched on it last week, and I'm probably going to be on just now, but we, I think we need this fresh awakening of the conflict And again, this idea that we just kind of put in a little time here and there for our Christianity so we can check the box. When we've got the carnal man, the carnal mind that is constantly warring against the spiritual. Here's the good news. Again, here's the encouraging thing. And I'm going to touch on it, I believe, here a little bit tonight. And hopefully even in the next couple of weeks, the Lord willing. The bottom line is this. God has done and provided everything necessary for the Spirit to win. This isn't supposed to be, oh, this is hopeless. I might as well quit. If it was all on you, absolutely If it was all up to you to have to fight the fight and do it and fix it and all that, but but what it what I think we read it here in that first whoops wrong thing, in that first yeah what does Paul says in in Galatians five seventeen you cannot do the things that you would. So if it's all on you and I, yeah, it's hopeless. We might as well quit now because we're never going to do it. The bottom line is there's some amazing things that Paul, in other places, but Paul talks about of what the Spirit of God can and will do. The bottom line is this. You and I decide which law. I'm going to try to get back to Romans 7 here in a second. But you and I are the ones that decide which law is going to be the law that succeeds. So let me, let me, I, I, I believe I stopped, um, actually I, I read all this, and let me just for context sake, so this again is the Passion Translation, Romans 7, verse 7. So what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. That's why not every person in the world is a terrible, horrible, mistreating every other person in the world. Because sin is lying dormant. There's not this battle that's been awakened yet. I said it, I think, last Thursday night. Some of you used to do things and feel no remorse or guilt for them that you wouldn't, need, you wouldn't think twice about doing now. You used to participate in activities before you got saved, and, and, and yeah, at one point there was some guilt, but you kind of overcome that and silenced it to the point you did what you did, and it was great. Party, do whatever, man, it's fun. Why? Because that spirit... The law of the Spirit had not been awakened yet. 
But now it's a whole different world because the law of the Spirit has been awakened. And again, there's things you used to do that many of you, you, you wouldn't even think twice about doing anymore because the law of the Spirit is now working in you. I once lived without a clear understanding of the law, but when I heard God's commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me, to, brought me death instead. Sin, by means of the commandment, built a base of operation with me to overpower me and put me to death. Sin, by means of the commandment, it used what was good against me. So then we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy and its commandments are correct and for our good. Brother Evans and I had a conversation, uh, was that yesterday? Tuesday. I think Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. And, and, and he, he made a point, of, probably not an exact quote, but the gist of the point. Guilt, the voice of guilt and condemnation is usually a pretty loud voice. The voice of conviction and oftentimes the voice of God in general is a gentle, soft voice. Like, what does the Lord say in Roman or in Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will let me come in, I'll come in. I'll sup with him, he with me. I personally think, and this is another one of those things I can't prove to you. It's just the way I sort of imagine it, interpret it. I personally think that standing at the door and knocking is about like this. I don't think he stands at the door. Which is why so many people don't realize he's standing at the door and knocking. Because it's such a gentle knock. He's not barging his way. He's not the police coming with their deal and breaking down your... And busting his way into your life. And so there's always that voice of condemnation. The voice of the enemy that is so loud. It's so boisterous in my mind. That if I'm not careful, I miss... That's not what happened with Elijah when he was hiding out in the, in the cave. The Lord calls him to the mouth of the cave and there's a wind, there's earthquake, there's a fire. And after each one of those things, it says the Lord was not in it. But then there was a still, small voice. So verse 13, I think this is picking up actually from where we stopped, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe, we, maybe it's the next part here. Whatever. So did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil so it could be seen for what it is. For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm, but I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. Sin doesn't care for you. Sin's just going to chew you up and spit you out. Now, here we go. Here we go. I don't think I read this last week. Listen, this is, again, this is the Apostle Paul. The, this is not a brand new saint. This is not somebody that just got baptized last weekend. This is the Apostle Paul 
I'm a mystery to myself. For I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. I I end up doing the things I shouldn't do. The things I know not to do. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. I, I still know the law is good, the law is right. And now I realize, here we go, that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. Oh, man. I think, again, this was a little bit of some of the conversation Brother Evans and I were having. I I think sometimes in our sincerity... We so don't want to give ourselves an excuse or make an excuse that we go to the other extreme and we, we, we nullify. I, I got it in the nose. Maybe, I'll, maybe, I should have, maybe I had it in the wrong place. Paul says, I will not frustrate the grace of God. I will not void. I, I will not stop. You know, I, I think it's with some medicines. I feel like I've heard this with some medicines. It's like you take the medicine and then don't fight against it. Let it, let it do its job. Don't, I think that sometimes we've got the law of the Spirit that's trying to work, but we void it. We, 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 we take away what it's intended to try to do. And so I, I just tell you, and, and this, is just, this is just the way I am, and I got a feeling I'm not the only person here like this tonight, uh, but, but I, I, am, I am so, I so avoid anything that to me might be perceived just by myself. I not forget everybody else, but if it's perceived by myself as an excuse, a cop-out, and, and so, I don't know about all of you, but part of my problem is verse 17. I now realize that it's no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. There's something that rises up inside of me that says, I must take all responsibility for all of my... It's me, it's me. But, but I also, I, I, I'm relating, I'm not Paul, but I'm relating to what Paul says, because I know... I know there's this desire in me. I I know there's this hunger in me for the law of the Spirit to do what it wants to do, and yet I'm finding myself messing it up all the time, it feels like, most of the time. And so then what do I do? I start trying to figure out what's the real me. And what do most of us conclude? Well, the real me is that guy that's messing up. You see, you see, Paul says, I realize that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For many of us, it's just, it's our true self. I'm messing up because that's, that's really who I am. My mistakes and my failures are really, why is it not that my hunger and desire is the real me? Why is that not what we choose to identify with? Because the bottom line is this. How many people 
the same things you're beating yourself and I'm beating myself up for. There's billions of people out there doing the same things and not even thinking twice about them. As I said last week, and I use it with regards to my wife and I in marriage, you know, 15, 20 years, we're still having arguments and we're still having disagreements and we're still having struggles. Hey, guess what? We're still having arguments. We're still having disagreements. We're still having struggles. That means we haven't stopped. We haven't quit. We're not divorced. So I'm 50 years old. I got the Holy Ghost when I was 7 years old and I'm still struggling with doing what I should do and not doing what I shouldn't do. Guess what? I'm still struggling. And it's what most of it is. I'm still struggling. Wait a minute. I'm still struggling. Because the alternative is I just gave up and gave in to the law of sin. But I'm not giving in to the law of sin. That's not my true me. Because I was born again of the water and of the Spirit. I was filled with the Spirit of God. I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. All things have become new. I know I don't see that in every area. But the Spirit, the law of the Spirit is working to bring Reduce that in me. Can I be really, really, really transparent? I like to be transparent. I don't know if I like to be really, really, really transparent. But I'm going to be really transparent. There's a part of me, as your pastor teaching this, is, is like, nah, don't, don't give them excuses. Don't provide somebody with a cop-out. But you know what? Those that are looking for a cop-out are going to find it. Those that are looking for an excuse are going to find the excuse. In the meantime, the rest of you sincere, genuine folks that need the solution of the Word of God, need the solution of the Word of God. You you realize, and I don't want to take this out of context, but after 30 plus years of... Essentially 33 years of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. After 33 years, he still said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, still had some things that His flesh was contrary to having to do. The good news is He always did the right thing and the Spirit always won, but there was still flesh. Where would we be if Jesus would have been like you and I? Because if you and I were Jesus, the scenario would have probably been like this. In the garden, struggling with what he's got to do. And getting up and leaving the garden and going on about his business because there's no way I can be the one. I can't be the one to do this because I've got this turmoil. My true... So again, I'm not trying to, I don't want to provide for myself and I don't want to provide for you a cop-out or an excuse. But the flip side is, I, I want you and me to know the truth of the Word of God. And, and if I'm understanding what I'm reading here, Paul was trying to help some other people. I mean, Paul's not, this isn't, we're not reading Paul's journal here. Somebody found Paul's journal with the little key, you know, like the little girls have. 
This isn't some, oh, Jesus. This is not some secretive pouring out of his heart to God session with no one else around. It's a letter that he's writing to the church at Rome, whether he knew it would get recorded and read for thousands of years. I don't know that. But the bottom line is when he wrote it, he was writing it to people that he probably knew could take this as an excuse. And yet he says to those people, I know what it's like. And don't forget, he's talking to saved folks here. Read the first couple of verses. In fact, I think it's just verse 1 in Romans. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. He's writing to the saints. I think if you read, I'm pretty sure the King James there says called to be saints, but those called to be is in italics. So take it out of there and he's writing to the saints. He's writing to people that have already been born again. Again, I read this verse to you last week, but he says, I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. How many of you have been through seasons? I'm sure you're, none of you are there right now, so you can just, this is all about your past and we won't judge you. How many of you have been through some seasons where you knew your prayer life was just not where it needed to be? I mean, there wasn't even a prayer life. Forget, forget that you weren't praying as much as maybe you needed. You just weren't even praying. And how many times did you make up your mind? I know I need to pray, so bless God, I'm going to start praying tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. Is that a fake desire? course not and it's and, and i'm not we're not talking about praying because you feel a real i'm talking about genuine desire to pray because you know you need to pray you you know that's what you got to not what you got to do just so you get but that's what you got to do to be saved because you, you need that connection and relationship and fellowship with god and so everything in you is i'm gonna do this i'm going bless god i'm gonna do this what do you do another day with no prayer Because he says, I, the willpower is not enough to accomplish it. Make all the resolutions you want to make. Make all the proclamations you want to make. Your willpower is not enough. Because there is a law that is working against the law of the Spirit that's trying to get you to do right. Look at this, my lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that I am a worthless, no good sinner on my way straight to hell. Come on now. Thank you, Brother Barr. That's what we conclude. I've got all these great desires to do good, but I mess it up. And so if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must not be any good. I'm just a reprobate on my way to hell. The old song says that I'm on my way to heaven and I'm so glad. 
southern gospel, so some of you probably never heard it. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm so glad. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm so glad. The devil can't do me no harm. I think some of us, we sing, Well, I'm on my way to hell and I'm so mad. I'm on my way to hell and I'm so mad. I'm on my way to hell and I'm so mad and the spirit can't do me no right. No. If my behavior contradicts my desire to do good, I must conclude it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Of being what? Oh, God, I know we got a bunch of people out and all that, but somebody get this, please. Who I really am. I'm not the big mess up. I'm not the failure. I'm not the one that's... I, I, that's not who I really am. There is a law of the Spirit that is working in me. And that is my true identity. That's who I am. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. I think I read that verse last week by itself. But Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. That's, that's the real me. That's the real you. How can you say that, brother, right? One simple way. Were you born again? Uh, do you understand? There's so many things we should just simply go back to being born again to be the evidence. Uh, we don't need a word. We don't need a message. We don't need a... We just, wait a minute. He which hath begun a good work in you is going to complete the work. How do I know the work was started? Because I went down into the waters of baptism in Jesus' name. I put on Christ. I became a new creature. I spoke in other tongues as the evidence the Spirit is now in me. And so that is the evidence that the work was started. And if I will let Him, God will finish. I've used this before, but act like I've never used it again if you remember. How many project starters do we have here tonight? How many great project starters? I'd pretty much bet money on the fact everybody just raised their hand stinks at finishing. There may be an exception to the rule. But most people start a project and once they get it started and the adrenaline of the no start of the started project has worn off, I gotta go start another project because I need more adrenaline. I think the problem is we, have a, we are afraid that God is a great project starter. 
We, are, we don't have any problem believing God is a project starter. Our problem is believing God is a project finisher. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes people don't finish because they, they get all excited in the startup and then they, they, the adrenaline's gone, they need it. But then there's other times that you, you don't finish because there were some unforeseen circumstances. There, there were some things you, you know, some problems that crept up. There was some, you, you, you ran out of resources you, or you ran out of skills. You just, you just didn't have those things. Can I tell you tonight, God never runs out of resources. Whatever God starts, He's got everything necessary to finish what He started. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' name. Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. We've had, we've had an issue the last couple of years. I think we've had it other times, but this is where we are. And this is, but we've had an issue the last couple of years with spiders. Last year, these people coming around in the neighborhood, knocking on doors, and my wife signed up for it, and man, last year was night and day difference. It was great. But you know what? There's still some that seem to creep their way in. But I'm sorry, a few unwelcome spiders in my house doesn't make it their house. There is one thing that God knows can never be in my house. I don't, I'm okay. I don't like spiders, but they don't freak me out. I don't like mice. I really hate mice, but I don't. But I got to tell you, if I ever found a snake in my house, I'd be calling Esther. To be my real estate agent, it's on the market. Period. Point blank. I'm out of. I'm out of there. I'm really not joking. I'm just. I just heard the other day about somebody that had one in the house in the coat closet in the pocket of a coat. Forget just getting rid of the coat. I. Somebody. A couple. On social media, part of one of the other congregations, I think not too within the last just couple of years, had a snake in the bed. I think if I remember, it was dead, and the dog had. I don't dead or alive. Snake is a snake. The only thing different about it, a rubber snake, okay. Outside of that, dead or alive, big or small. If they're small snakes, then that must be. Somewhere there's some bigger ones, and if I don't get the small one, he's going to get big. But just because an intruder gets in my house, I don't give up my house. Oh, Jesus. There are intruders that are constantly trying to find a way in your house, your spiritual house, and sometimes they manage to sneak their way in. Don't sell the house. It's an intruder. Your house. His house.
I'm trying to move on. I just got to tell you, you need to type it, take a picture of it. Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. That may not be what's on the surface. That may not be in my emotions. All I said it last week. We don't want to be like Jesus. At least not our flesh. I do believe our spirits want to, but I don't think our flesh wants to. Come on, turn the other cheek. Come on. Forgive 70 times 7? You lost your mind. That's not what my flesh wants. But you know what? There is something down inside of me that recognizes that is really what I want to be and that really is my true identity. i got to move on. I haven't even got past where I got past last week. But I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, the unwelcome intruder in my humanity. I I wish the, the Holy Ghost would just sear in our minds tonight that word war. This is not some cutesy little give or take thing we're a part of. This is life or death, eternal life or death. What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for His mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. So if I... I, So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. I got to be honest with you. There is a shift that I just read to you. And even in the next couple of verses, starting with chapter 8, there's something different about everything I just read to you versus what Paul... The same guy who was just saying, I don't do what I should do. I struggle doing right. I, I, I give in to doing wrong is the same guy that's saying, hey, I give thanks to God because His power has provided a way out. I've I've tried for the last couple of weeks once I felt like the Lord started directing me to this passage and down down this rabbit trail. I've been trying hard to rationalize, not, not, but to, to understand. What is the difference between that Paul we were just reading about and this Paul? Because everything I just read, and I know I'm not reading the King James, or read it in the King James. Everything we just read, he says as a present tense thing. He wasn't writing to the church at Rome saying, I used to do the things that I shouldn't do, and I used to... It wasn't past tense. He was saying those as if they were going on as he's writing, but then he switches around and he says, there's hope. The only thing I can glean from this is, or, or that I can take away from this is that, that what Paul is dealing with is this ongoing transition that we're living in. That again, there has to be hope. There is hope, but we've got to live with hope. 
Okay, I messed it up again. The law of sin succeeded today. But the law of the Spirit is still at work. Still at work. There's hope. I'm going to be victorious. There's a way to overcome this. There's a way to change. It's the Spirit that's working in me that's going to produce it. But again, this is not intended to be discouraging. It's intended to be realistic because if you're not realistic, you're going to get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you're going to get disillusioned. When you get disillusioned, you're just going to quit. There will be a battle. There will always be a The flesh is never going to just give up and say, okay, have it your way. There may be some times where it's more under control than other times, but there's always, as long as you're alive, you've got flesh, literally and figuratively. So and then and then so again we I remind you because I'm about to read chapter starting in chapter eight I'm not going to read all of chapter eight but I'm about to start reading chapter eight so don't forget chapter eight verse one is not something new and different again I said it last week I'm going to remind you maybe somebody here tonight you've never heard it so you need to hear it those those numbers in the in the books of the Bible are there for reference it's not because you know we finished chapter one so now chapter two so, no it's the same at least in the epistles and the gospels maybe some scenarios or scenes may change from one chapter to the next but even in the gospels there's sometimes that a new chapter is the same thought. But, but look at this. He goes from all of that stuff we just read. This conflict, this battle, this trying to live by my true identity. And then he, and, and then he says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. For the law of the Spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us all from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law has, was limited by the weakness of human nature. Oh, Jesus Yet God sent his, yet God sent us his son in human, in human form to identify with human weakness, clothed with humanity. God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. The difference is what law now controls me. I still got the law of the flesh that's trying to work against the law of the spirit. But now it's the law of the spirit that's in control. And so if I will just stay in the process, the law of the flesh doesn't have a chance. Oh, Jesus. 
That, that's why I, I, I'm so, I, I guess I'm so willing to try to hammer this point about the, the seriousness of this conflict that we've got going on and the fact we can't just be some, you know, weekend hacker Christians that give Jesus a little bit of time every now and then because the conflict is so great. That, that's the sobering, sombering part of it. The good part of it is everything we need for the victory to be won has been provided and is at work in us. And so I'm not supposed to be depressed by this conflict that's going on. I need to be mindful there is a conflict that's always going to be going on. I've always got the enemy of my carnality and the enemy of the Spirit. But at the same time, there's something greater that is working in me. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life. And we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Spirit. And again, it's only a few verses before that. Paul is just saying, I try and I fail. I try not to and I do it. But now there's no condemnation. How is there no condemnation? Are you kidding me, Paul? That's all I know is condemnation. Because of everything you just said. Oh, Jesus. I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not here to provide. I have, I, I'm afraid to provide excuses. So I'm not trying to provide excuses. But why is it we are so good at interpreting everything to the negative? I've already said it. I'm going to hammer it one more time here for a moment. The fact that you mess up and you're feeling conviction, you're feeling some guilt, is a great sign. And yet it's the thing that we heap on ourselves to say that we're so bad and terrible. I mean, I've I've seen people essentially cuss people out in stores and walk away fuming mad not thinking twice and I've just sort of looked cross-eyed at the person behind the counter and walked away like oh my god I'm so terrible why because there's something working it's working the fact that you're battling some guilt the, bad, the fact that you're feeling bad about doing wrong is a good sign. It means the law of the Spirit is still working. Again, the dangerous thing is when you can follow the law of the flesh and do what the flesh wants and not think twice about it. Verse number 5. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. That's why there's so many people that go to church once a week because it's about benefiting themselves. They see some degree of benefit to themselves, so they go. They, They feel some sense of obligation, so they go. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual reality. I I have a feeling, and obviously with these other translations, in the King James, those of you that may not know this, in the King James, basically every word that's there, you can look up uh, 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 the Greek or the Hebrew word for it. That's not the case in all these newer translations. (laughs) 
So I, I can't go look up in the Hebrew or Greek. It would be, I can't go look up the Greek word for impulses here. But, but, but I, I, I believe in the context of this. We, 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 we often use impulse more so in a negative sense. Acted on impulse. How many of you ever bought something out of an impulse and then regretted that you bought it? The mics aren't working or we need a healing line to pray for arms that aren't working. Why did I do? I man, the moment say somebody good salesman, good salesperson, whatever, or just you're out and you're just oh yeah, woo! Until you get in the car, I don't have the money for that, but I want it. I, I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the impulse here is talking about that kind of. Oh, let's go to church. Oh, let's go tell somebody about you. Impulse. No. I, I, I think in the context, again, I can't go to some Greek word here and show you this, full disclosure. But, but when I read this, I think the context of that is this. In the Bible, it talks about the trump of God shall sound. The rapture, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ. That, that Greek word there for trump is not a trumpet. The, the gist of the definition of that Greek word there for trump is a vibration. Which is part of the reason why I think so many different things we do are so important, i.e. worshiping in church. Because if you need more than just a vibration, not of the music, but of the spirit, when it comes time to minister... If you don't go pray for somebody unless Gabriel comes down and delivers a message like he delivered to Mary. Oh, you can't be naming your kids all the same letters for us old people. <laughs> Julian, right? Okay, all right. I know you're not Jocelyn. I do that part's easy, but Jude and Oh Julian, thou mighty man chosen of God, go layeth thy hands on the headeth of Christopher. As we know God speaks in King James English. You know why some of you never go pray for people? Because that's kind of not it's a little bit exaggerated, but that's pretty much. Do you know what most of us that you see us go pray for somebody? Put your, if you can find it, put your finger somewhere on that. You feel that gentle, I can't find mine, I'm just acting like I do. So if you don't have yours, we're all good. I'm just pretending. I know I got one. I just I ain't finding it. All you cool Apple Watch people, turn your uh, thing... Most of the time when I go pray for somebody, you know what it is? It's about like that. Sometimes when I get that and I'm like, nah, that's it. It might be a boom. But I, I believe we are constantly practicing being rapture ready by learning to respond to the vibrations. 
What if it's not this big trumpet blast? What if it's just this? So I, I, think, I, I think that's the context of that. I want to learn to live by the impulses. I, I, throughout my life, even though through the last several years at times, with, with um, working with, with Brother Whaley and especially several times throughout, even in my teen years working with him, doing carpentry stuff, I, I, would, try, I would try to anticipate what was needed. I try not, you know, it's great when you got somebody, you can tell them what to do and they do it. That's great. That, that's better than nothing. But what's even better is when somebody's, they're, they're with you. you. You go to turn to get something and they're got it handy. I, I, I want to I get in sync. I want to get in sync with the Spirit. Not just, not just behind this pulpit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday. I want to get in sync with the Spirit all the time so that I can just get that gentle nudge. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. I, again, I can't, even as I'm trying to share it and explain it to you, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how does Paul go from law of the flesh and the law of the spirit and not doing and doing and all of that and wretched man that I am to, hey, I'm, there's no condemnation. And the law of the spirit is producing life. Because here's the bottom line. I've touched on this already, and I'm, 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 I'm getting there. <laughs> you decide. Ultimately, you decide if the law of the spirit or the law of the flesh wins. The law of the Spirit has everything necessary to overcome the law of the flesh. But the problem is if you decide to let the law of the flesh have its way, again, the Spirit is not going to overpower you. So look, 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 look how Paul says this, Romans 6. And there's some amazing stuff in Romans. There's actually some amazing stuff in the Bible. <laughs> Romans 6 and 12. Let. Somebody say let. Give me a little organ music. Touch your neighbor, say let. Touch your other neighbor, say let. High five, three. No, don't do that. Let. Notice this. Notice this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. This idea that the devil made you do it is absolutely bogus. There is no such thing as the devil making you do something. Because God, the devil cannot 
do something that God can't or won't do. And if God will make you, if God won't force you against your will to do something, there's no way the devil can force you. You say, well, what about those that are possessed? What about them? I don't think there's a whole lot of people that have had thousands of demons in them. Most people that are demon-possessed got a couple of demons at the most. And a man with thousands of demons who they could not keep contained when Jesus showed up. They couldn't keep him from Jesus. Let, you let, I let sin work. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you Yield yourselves servants to obey, to whom you yield yourselves servants. Here it is, I touched on it earlier. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of Righteousness. I decide the law of the Spirit is powerful enough to overcome the law of the flesh. But I got to decide who I'm letting work, who I am yielding myself to. I determine that. That conflict between the law of the flesh and the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit is completely capable of defeating the law of the flesh. No doubt about it. But as capable as the law of the Spirit is to defeat the flesh, if I determine the law of the flesh is what's going to rule in my life, the law of the Spirit will not. I thought I had it in, I thought I put it in here for tonight. I've got some a, a pages document that's got some other verses in the course of my studying all of this that if the Lord lets me to continue somehow in this vein. But I've already touched on it. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I, 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 there's part of me that thinks you could, you could drill down and you could unpack that for weeks. I do not frustrate. Again, that word frustrate means to, to void, to nullify. So what that means, when Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, 
in essence, what he's saying, the grace of God is at work in my life to produce all of these things. And the only way for it not to happen is I have to frustrate, I have to nullify, I have to void. I, I, I must not be getting it out there right, or you're just so wowed by it, you don't know what to do. We're, we're, not, we're not victims here. We're not, one of the things I've, I've, I've heard from my wife as through the years, and I've heard her try to help others with it, but one, one of the most... Uh, uh, um, Tragic's not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't, I don't know. But one of, the most, one of the most difficult things in her whole life was when her parents were going through their divorce and her and her sisters were put in the position of having to decide which parent are you going to go with? They, they were, that, she was like, I think eight or nine at that time, I'm not mistaken. I mean, their parents were having trouble, but she loved her mom, they loved their dad. That, that, they weren't the ones getting divorced from the parents. You, you, you and I, I, I say this sensitively, and I don't mean, I don't mean to say, I don't want this to be insensitive. It's, you, you, you and I are not some kids caught between a custody battle. There is a battle. There is a war that's going on for it. That's, that's the facts. But I'm not the victim caught in between. I'm not, this is, this, this, this war, this conflict between, this is, I'm not being, come here, stand up, come here, guys. Grab, don't, don't do it too hard. We don't want to hurt him. But grab, grab an arm there, Chris. This, 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 I'll let him be the law of the spirit. I'll be the law of the flesh. This is, this is, you know, no, I, I, no. It's not a matter of who ends up pulling harder is the one that gets the victory. It's all about him saying, I can't kill you. You're going to always be there. But that's the one. That's who I choose. I'm, thank you. I'm not just torn here in this battle that I have no control over, and I'm not. I'm also not being torn between two equal parties. <laughs> I do not frustrate. I don't know about you. Hopefully, you haven't. But I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure there have been some days where I have frustrated the grace of God. Because grace was trying to do what grace does. Grace was trying to accomplish in me what grace wants to accomplish. But I was so caught up in identifying myself with the law of the flesh than with my true identity and therefore allowing grace to work.
this is this is the conflict of conflict folks this is the battle for an eternal victory the law of sin and the law of death whether you're thinking about it or not whether you're concerned about it or not they are waging war inside of you for an eternal victory and until you breathe your last breath again not a trick question so please answer accordingly how many of you believe you're saved actually if you're not raising your hand we're going to have an altar call because you need prayer if you got the Holy Ghost I believe I'm saved the bottom line is I'm still breathing, so I'm not actually saved. When I say I'm saved, that's by faith. That's by faith because I believe the law of the Spirit is working in me and is producing salvation. Until the trumpet sounds or you breathe your last breath, you're not saved. Because at any point I can decide, nope, you know what, law of the Spirit, you're done. But, but, but again, here's... here's some of my other favorite verses, and I'm, I'm closing. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Male or female, sons of God. Beloved, now, 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 are we the sons of God right now? When you are born again in that moment, you are, that's it. But then he says this, it doth, I, I am, right now I am a son. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall, shall be like Him. And everyone that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself. I, I, I think that's John's way of talking about the law of the Spirit. Paul calls it the law of the Spirit. John talks about it being this hope in us that is purifying us even as we are pure. So guess what? I am not what I'm going... In fact, to be very honest with you, I hope I am not everything I'm going to be. If this is everything I'm going to be, God, have mercy on me and you. I'm not everything I'm going to be but I am moving in that direction because I've got this hope inside of me that is working on me and I am becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I, I think I could say it this way. I think I could say our primary job is to just stay in that process. Because really everything we do, everything we're supposed to do, is just all about being in that process of the law of the Spirit, of the, of the hope that's in us, purifying and transforming and making. I, I feel like this. 
I, I promise you I'll quit by nine. Lord, forgive me for saying that. I don't want to have to break my promise. <laughs> you know, how many of you? How many of you just you just you look at yourself from time to time, and you, and and you just think, I am just not growing. I'm just not. I'm the same as I was. Anybody ever feel that way? I think it's like this. You know. I don't know, for a while now, Timothy's been taller than me. But I don't, I don't really know when he got there because he lives with me. We're together all the time, relatively speaking. We're in the same house. We interact together on a daily basis. And so the growth was gradual. But you ever had one of those? I've, I've had it happen many times. Where you maybe it was some friends that had small children, lived someplace else, you weren't around them all the time, and you saw their kids. And then it was several months, maybe, maybe not even a couple of years, just a couple of months. And that kid had a growth spurt, and you come back and you're like, man, they shot up. And and while in some ways as the parent you recognize, sure, there's been a growth spurt. It's not as drastic to you because it was a daily, gradual thing. I think there's so many times we miss our growth and our development and our walk with God because we've been looking at ourselves in the mirror every single day. And the growth is so gradual on a daily basis, we don't recognize it. But others are going, wow, man, you really... Why? Because there's a hope that's in you. That if you'll just stay in the process and let, let, let the law of the Spirit work. The law of the Spirit can be, will be victorious over the law of the flesh. I believe the enemy wants us, and I believe the enemy wants the pulpit, figuratively speaking. I believe the enemy wants the pulpit to continue dumbing all of this down. Ah, this just, you know, whatever, however much you want to do, do. If you want to come to church, come to church. If you want to stay at home in your pajamas on the couch with your coffee, that's okay. You know, this bit about, oh boy, I should stop while I'm behind, before I get further behind. Don't, 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 I don't, I don't want to hear this bit about, you know, technology being this tool because of all those with social anxiety disorders and it's a great way to reach them. Because if that's the case, God needs to go resurrect every single person from the dead from the last couple of thousand years. This bit about making everything so easy and convenient, there's a lot of people God owes an explanation to. If now suddenly we've got all these ways of doing it easier and more convenient. Do I believe in using the tool? I don't think you ought to be walking to church if you got a car ride. I don't think I have to stand here and scream all night. we got a microphone. Use it. Not against using the tools and the means and whatever, but we better make sure we properly apply them. 
There's a battle. It's a great battle. It's a battle that never stops. While you're sleeping... Anybody ever wake up? Anybody ever wake up having had some dreams and thought, "Oh God, what is wrong with me?" I tell you, what's wrong with you? That's about the most vulnerable time of your whole life. The enemy wants nothing more than to bombard you with junk, and then you take ownership. And you know what? If you're sinning, you're willfully sinning. You need to repent. You need. You... I believe with all of my heart, I'm speaking to people in this room tonight and people that are watching online. You're sincere and genuine in your hunger and your desire for God. You find yourself in the same conflict Paul found himself in. Two laws working against each other. How about if we, not by our willpower, because we read tonight, it doesn't work, but by the help of the Lord, I don't, how about we make an agreement with each other? I'm going to start identifying myself by that true identity. I, I, I'm going to ruin some of the stuff if I get to continue that I'll get to in the future. But, but here's one of those things that to me is this, it's, it's what's the answer and the solution to all this. Peter says we are born again of incorruptible seed. When you were born again, you were born again of incorruptible seed. Do you know what incorruptible seed is? Hold on now. I'm getting ready to drop. This is going to be the bomb of the night. Get ready. Get ready. Incorruptible seed is seed that cannot be corrupted. <laughs> Minds blown. I forgive the moment of facetiousness, facetiousness, but but in seriousness, that's that's what it is. I was born again. That doesn't mean the law of the flesh gave up, but guess what? I was born again with an incorruptible seed. Father, I pray again this evening that you would help us. Lord, one of the greatest battles we deal with all the time is the battles in our minds. Lord, I know there's some things that they're, they're human thoughts, human ideas that we struggle with, Lord, but there's so many things that are this battle of these laws. The enemy is so good, so good at using the law of the flesh to get us to do those things that are contrary to the law of the Spirit. And then the very moment we give in to the law of the flesh, He turns right around and begins to heap condemnation and guilt on us. I pray, God, as the revelation Paul received would rest upon us, that we can be victorious through the law of the Spirit. We can yield ourselves. We can choose to yield ourselves members of righteousness unto life.
And that while the power of the law of sin, while the power of sin, if given free reign, has the ability to completely destroy. You said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So while given reign in our lives, that's what sin might be able to do. Sin is not greater than the law of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Help us tonight. God, I pray that by your grace in those moments we find ourselves, as Paul talked about, in doing things we shouldn't and struggling to do the things that we should, that we would, we would dig down to our true identity our true identity, that, that thing inside of us, that seed inside of us that wants to be like you, that desires to be like you, that law of the Spirit and that grace that is able to empower us and help us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.